When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Soul Sisters. We are in the afterglow of having just talked to Judy Collins. Serious afterglow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, This is a big day for the show. She means a lot to a lot of people that mean a lot to us. And she means a lot to us. Um, She's just one of the most impactful people in the history of the music industry and and songwriting and singing and covering songs. And um, she have 50 albums. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, God, we were we were talking about the year 1966 her first album was in 61 it was 61 and by 66 she She, corrected me that she already had five five albums albums. out right uh yeah and she has before the hit before before her first big hit yeah um and she hasn't really slowed down since and she she just walked in here and she just laid it down real gorgeous just like went straight to it I was like, oh, how are we going to broach her mm-hmm. about all these heavy, deep topics? Because I know that she likes to talk about them, but they're not a good icebreaker and, and we don't have a lot of time. And she just was ready to go. Yep. And not in a canned way, you know? No, no. It just we were able to hit all of these things and she knew she knew where to go. I yeah. She has a lot of wisdom to spout. Oh, we just yeah. ate oh, it yeah. up. I wish I could have written. What were the? Well, I don't need to write it down. It's on the podcast. Yeah, you're about um, to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> There were some amazing gems. I'm like, ooh, that, that. Yeah, yeah. Take notes during this one, guys. Yeah. Um, also, I just, I did not realize that, uh, you know, these songs that we call covers of hers, she made them hits before the songwriters made them hits. Right. So both sides now, Was she it's recording? not really, she's not really covering Joni Mitchell because that song hadn't <sighs> even been recorded yet. Right. Joni Mitchell got on the phone with her when no one knew about Joni Mitchell and, and sang her the song. And then that was so recorded it. Yeah. Um, Whoa! Yeah, so <laughs> I'm I'm my head is still spinning. Um, so let's not keep rambling because um, you guys want to hear Judy Collins, and uh, that's what you should do. So here we go, Judy Collins on Soul Sisters. So so what an honor! Thank you. This is oh yeah. My gosh, thank you very wow. much. <laughs> Glad that the laryngitis has passed. Oh, oh my goodness! Oh yeah, my, I was so sick. And I was, I went down two, two weeks ago, what's today, Tuesday, two weeks ago yesterday I went down and I had to cancel two shows, Madison, Wisconsin, Madison, and then Minneapolis, came home the day before Minneapolis and stayed in bed for a week with drugs, <laughs> got up to do a big fundraising party a week ago today yeah. and made it through my Sondheim show on Sunday two days ago. Where was that? Was flying Colors, Colorado, with a huge orchestra for oh, me. Wow. That's right. I heard about that. I was so lucky. <laughs> it happened. I'm s- and thank you for rescheduling. I oh, mean, my God. We, we would reschedule <laughs> yeah, forever anytime. for you. <laughs> Do you have a special concoction of drugs that yeah. are like... For- Synthroid, lots of decongestant, all of the uh, alternatives uh, that I can think of. Mm-hmm. And stay in bed. Yeah. yeah. And don't talk. Right. I mean, it's not, it, you know, I think I could count on one hand when I've had to cancel in the past 20 years, 30 years. Wow. 40 years. So does it uh, bum you out when that happens or you, you're a pro, you just weather the storm, go, ride it out? Go with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nothing you can do. Nothing yeah. you can do about it. Being stressed it. out won't help but you recover. You're, right. you're, you know, like, like Mark Rylance says in Bridge of Spies when... 
Tom Hanks asks mm-hmm. him if he's, if he's worried. And, of course, he should be worried because he's going to go to jail and he's maybe he's going to get executed as a spy. And Rylant says, Tom says, are you worried? And he says, would it help? <laughs> oh, I exactly. like that. <laughs> I really That's like that. a very that. important <clears throat> mantra Definitely. to keep with you, I think. Yeah. Is that something... Does that, I mean, that obviously resonated with you, but I is don't that, ever worry. Yeah. I really don't ever worry. Has that been something in your entire life or have you learned that? Well, I've had to learn it. Yeah. There comes mm. a point where, what? Right. <laughs> worry? Me? <laughs> Why? <laughs> it doesn't help. It's not no. going to be a bit helpful. Yeah. And anyway, God has something else planned. You know, that's always the thing that gets me. There's something else, like if I miss a plane or I miss, I don't ever, but <laughs> let's say I, I figure, well, there's something else going on. Wow. That was something I wondered. So you, you do in your, in all of your life, you take, there is some sort of cosmic there's a destiny. Ba- God, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you read about this all the time, you know, so-and-so was a ball player with the team and he stayed back and they were all on that plane that went down and, you know, and he says, I don't know why I didn't get on that plane. Yeah. Because you weren't supposed to be there. Yeah. So sometimes, do you, yeah. Sometimes it takes that thing to happen, though, where you're like, oh, okay. If I had worried too hard or tried too hard and then I made that thing happen, then I would have died. <laughs> so, yes, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Doors. But right. it comes with time, I think, because I was extremely anxious. You know, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a former depressive. I'm not depressed at all, but there was there were many years when I was and and I, oh and about I would get very very sick even when I met met my husband Lewis <clears throat> for the first three or four years Carnegie Hall would come around and I would get deathly ill two weeks before oh just a psychosomatic type of thing <sighs> ridiculous nerves also, I, mean, I was probably worn out yeah, it was yeah Christmas sure. it was always Christmas and I'd always been doing nothing but working you know as usual right right yeah well psychosomatic but you were but probably actually ill yeah i was that, no <laughs> yeah. you both the psychosomatic both. does not mean you're not, you not real. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right i mean i guess it's all the same if you feel sick you're sick that's that's right the whole point yeah right but with all of the you know incredible fortune and success mixed with some really you know some tragedy and challenges and really icky things it does that help to sort of have this sense that there's you know god at play or something at play that's bigger than you yes i think so because the the terrible things are really the greatest teachers the good things are wonderful but they come out of having learned to ride the wave and get through these things that are impossible impossible uh, right. <laughs> so you're so wonderfully open and talking about these things first of all i want to thank you for that mm-hmm. because it's fantastic do you do you enjoy these kinds of conversations this is like the kind of stuff that i really get off on having like let's oh, go yeah. deep and talk about how life is so messed up but it can be so well, beautiful exactly. in that way yeah exactly. are you just someone who who likes to think about that a lot or do you just find this is interesting to bring up when you're being in part of your work. Oh no, right? yeah. I, talk, I talk about it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> you're not exclusive to this information. <laughs> no, I know. No. I know. <laughs> yes, I. I. Well, we live on such a conflicted planet. I mean, we are in this. One of these people that was interviewed for the sisters edition of Vanity Fair, which I was reading on the plane coming in from Colorado yesterday. She was on the back page, and I don't remember her name, but she. They asked her what her last comment was, and she said, well, we live in outer space. And I think that's right. We do, we do live. This is, this is true. outer right. space. And whatever's it's going on here true. is extremely yeah. strange. <laughs> yeah. That's another great one. That is awesome. I like that, too. Um, I, I saw an older interview you did where you were quoting something that, that goes, you know, um, be careful about trying to kill all your demons because you oh, might kill yes. the wrong one, which really stuck with me. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating idea. And especially oh, as an artist, absolutely. because demons are what can fuel the best of your art. That's you right. Know? So how do you, how do you pick and choose? Do you kill the ones that are going to kill you? <laughs> 
and you then learn to embrace the rest? I think you kill the ones that you have the strength to kill. Yeah. Hmm. And the rest somehow survive, and they're standing around to balance, you know, the angels and the demons. Uh-huh. It is that, I, I think of it in very biblical terms uh, a lot of the time, although I'm not a, you know, I'm a, I'm a recovering Methodist, so <laughs> I don't have much of the smoke and mirrors to get over. But but I do think it is a, it is a tightrope walk between those things, and they're mm-hmm. always around you, the smoke and the demons and yeah. the mirrors and the, you know, and the the devil who's who's been a fallen angel. You have often we be careful of the fallen angels <laughs> because they can fool you <clears throat> very quickly. So I think we're always treading that path. And by the way, I was always I was born an optimist. Okay. I think about my father a lot because my dad was a very complicated, brilliant man. Wonderful entertainer, wonderful singer, wonderful chooser of songs. My mother always said, you know, you got that talent from him. But he had the the black demon. He was an alcoholic. And in those days, who knew? Nobody knew what that was. Right, right. Everybody drank. Everybody yeah. in Hollywood drank. I was reading about Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland yesterday on the plane. And... Um, Errol Flynn was an alcoholic and died at 50, just Mm. totally wrecked. And my father died at 57, still hadn't stopped drinking. Well, you know, there was no question of that. So alcoholism was not something that people understood or talked much about. Mm -hmm. There was a solution, but they didn't know about it. Right. Yeah. He was blind as well, wasn't he? He was blind. So he had already... I think he figured... You know, I always thought my father was so absolutely controlled most of the time and his i put his picture up on the on the website on mother's day oh, no it was his birthday it was the 4th of may was his death day and his birthday was april 23rd and i got so many responses on facebook people that had heard him on the radio for decades oh. and decades now they're probably in in their in their 90s 80s 70s oh. because he was on until 1968 when he died but he'd been on the radio for 30 years before mm. that and in denver for a good 15 something like that maybe 20 and people would talk about how wonderful he was and how how amazing he was and they would come he would come into their house and he would know where he was he would go like this and he would hear the room, and then he'd say, "Oh, that's the kitchen. I'll go there and get a drink." Um, <laughs> you know, he was he was remarkable, but he had this demon. Yeah, and I think he thought that he had come so far with the blindness. He had come so far that he wasn't going to let this thing get him down. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, do you think growing up around alcoholism gave you that sense, even from a very young age, that there are? demons or darkness always lurking around the corner because I also had alcoholism in my family and I think that's a big part of it you know for all the light that can spring up at any moment there's also the bottom that's going to drop out oh yeah yeah it's it's a real Mm merry-go-round I was 13 I was 14 when I tried to kill myself and I've write about I've written about it and thought about it written poems about it I've never written a song about it um the song, one of the songs that Leonard Cohen sang me when he came to see me in 1966, he sang me three songs. He was like a total unknown. He was a poet from from Canada. He was a friend of my friend Mary Martin, and, and she introduced us, and he came to the house and to the apartment, and he sang me three songs. He sang me Suzanne. He sang me Stranger Sa- Song, and he sang me dress rehearsal rag, which is about a planned suicide. That's the one that <laughs> locked horns with me. Yeah, I did sing Suzanne, of course, because I also fell in love with that. But uh-huh. I also yeah. recorded dress rehearsal rag because it's a horrifying song. <laughs> but it, but I've never written about it myself. I've written a lot of prose about it. Uh-huh. But it was, I'm sure, because of that roller coaster, because of the alcoholism and mm-hmm. the dips and the highs. Mm-hmm. And the highs are very high, mm-hmm. and the lows are very low. Right. <laughs> so you start to get the feeling, and then depression comes in, and then you have to figure out how to handle that. Uh-huh. And that, was, that, of course, contributed to the suicide attempt. And then, of course... When I was, but by the time I was nineteen, I knew I was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was quite sure. And you, I mean, that word probably didn't wasn't part of it, but you understood that there was a problem. Oh, I knew. I was. Yeah. I read everything I could get my hands and, on about mm-hmm. that, and I. But I didn't know there was a solution. Mm-hmm. I knew yeah. everything except that piece. I mean, also being a musician and being in that scene, it's not easy to give up alcohol. 
or or it's any not, kind of vice. Right. No, it's not, and it's not. You know, that's where the demon comes in, in a way, because I was, I was sort of trained by my father, who was a working alcoholic. You know, he was, he never missed a show. He was always up early in the morning. He was always happy when he got up. Didn't matter what the night before had brought, the chaos that it brought with him. Uh He was always happy as a lark. My sister and I were talking about it the other day, and she said it was amazing. That's what he did. He had that set And it must have been in his DNA, too, and he must have been trained in a way because he went to this wonderful school in Idaho where they really taught him everything about how to do what he wound up doing. Mm -hmm. Musically? I mean, Every way. Getting around, how to be sociable, how to look, how to dress, how to walk, how to present, how to read Braille. Of course, that was essential to his life. Uh And how to be a great musician, which he was. Yeah. Now, I don't think of your work as being particularly dark or dwelling in the dark, but how do you feel like it has fed you artistically? The dark is very important. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a must, it must challenge everything. And I, when I first started writing songs at Leonard Cohen's suggestion, he wondered why I hadn't. Mm-hmm. And I had been You keeping, were just covering folk songs I started as... Well, I was trained as a classical pianist. Right. I learned all the. I performed all the songs of Rogers and Hart, and I was in, I was in uh, Snow White when I was eleven, <laughs> playing the lead. You know, I I, I did everything musically, so uh-huh. I was trained to be a performer of great works of uh-huh. great songs. That was what my sort of go to place was. Yeah, and I never dreamed of writing songs. It never crossed my mind. What was like on the record player mostly in your house? Oh, like. Broadway. Broadway, okay. The great classical songs. American Songbook. Frank Sinatra, America. Mm-hmm. The American Songbook was, because that's what my father made our living on. Mm. It was, those his radio show was, was about that. Uh-huh. Okay. And the Irish classic ballads. Mm. Ah. It was that combination. Mm-hmm. So that was very intriguing because his his audience got a lot. They got They got musical comedy. Songs, musical theater songs, the great I'll Be Seeing You. And they got Dylan Thomas read on the radio oh. and Emerson read on the radio. We are and missing Mae that West. these days. No, we're missing, missing Mae it. Mae West stories and no. interviewing oh, guests, as wow. you're doing, and playing the piano and singing the great songs. Fantastic. And then closing with an Irish ballad, you know. So they, they really had, it was old-fashioned radio. It was yeah. the golden age of radio. It was the, started in the 30s, 37 was he started. And uh-huh. 57, wow. 58, no, uh, 68, he died, so. So you were playing classical, you were playing Broadway, yep. were you playing Irish music as oh, well? Oh, yes. Okay, all of it. I, I mean, I knew Danny Boy from the womb because yeah. my father sang it. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. <laughs> it's a gorgeous song. It's yeah. still as beautiful. It's a gorgeous yeah. Song. Yeah. I had to learn in choir and I somehow don't hate it. Still love you it. know, uh, Malachi McCourt, do you know who he is? He's the brother Ma- of Frank of, McCourt. Yeah, right. Malachi McCourt wrote a book about Danny Boy. Really? And he would be f- a fun interview for yeah. you. Yeah. Wow. About the history of the song? Mm-hmm. That's neat. Interesting. It's a great book. So and Malachi's how- a great interview. Is he? He's an Irishman right up the, you know, he's great. Mm. Um, so how did you pair up with Leonard Cohen then? How did that happen? My friend Mary Martin, whom I was very... She's not the one that Not flies. Peter Pan. Not, okay. not the one that flies. <laughs> she worked for Albert Grossman, and she was um, working for Warner Brothers in the early 60s. And she and I and my friend Linda Liebman, who's unfortunately gone many years, 
and I and Lily Tomlin and, and Jane Morgan and I, and we used to all hang out. And I was in the village or out the Upper West Side, and we'd hang out and talk and talk. And she, Mary, was and is a Canadian, and she was always talking about, oh, this this wonderful poet, Leonard. <laughs> Leonard! <laughs> Leonard! They all went to school together. She and, oh. and Leonard and Mary Martin and Lionel Tiger was in that school, and uh, they went to McGill. And my friend Nancy Bacall, who was Leonard's friend, Nancy Bacall brought me Sending the Clowns in 1973. She said, you have to hear this? That's right. Well, how did she have it? How did she know of it? Well, Nancy was is very smart, and she just knows everything. She was making a movie about Robbie Shankor at that point. Anyway, she knew Broadway. She knew what was going on. I didn't. So it was already in... A Little Night Music was up and out on Broadway already. It was out on Broadway. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she had the cast recording, and she sent it to me, and she said, you've got you've to listen to this song. And she said, I know how stubborn you are, so I'm going to tell you, please play it and then call me. So I played it, and then I called Hal Prince. <laughs> and you said, said, I, I need I said, this. I said, I need this. Wow. <laughs> and he said, well, 200 people have recorded it already. I said, I don't care. <laughs> how did it work uh, acquiring both sides now? Did you call Jody? How did that happen? I knew who Joni was only because Tom Rush was wild about Joni Mitchell, but I didn't never knew her, never met her. Okay, I knew um, uh, Urge for Going, I think maybe or Circle Game, maybe mm-hmm. that he had recorded, but I didn't know anything about her. So I'm sound asleep. And by the way, I had all, this was ni- in 1966 was when Mary said you have to meet Leonard because he's just written songs. He was always talk. She was always talking about his poetry. And how obscure it was, you know, uh-huh. and how wonderful he was and how sexy he was. <laughs> and, and she said, well, he wants to come and meet you because he's written songs now. So you had one album out by this point. No, I had right? five albums out. This was the sixth album. I'd been recording since by- six, 61. I started recording for Electra. And what year are we talking about? 66? You already had five albums? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This was the sixth <laughs> album. And I had, before that, I recorded mostly traditional, the first two, Uh and then all the singer-songwriters, including Dylan and Eric Anderson and Phil Oaks and and, uh, everybody, and uh, Billy Ed Wheeler and Pete and Woody and you name it. And so she said, well, he wants to come because he's written these songs, and the only person he wants to come and see is you. He wants, because by then I had a reputation of taking songs by the singer-songwriters, and making them. I had a sort of a near hit with Turn Turn. Things were growing and getting better and better. And so he So already by then you had this reputation. Already, of course, Uh because nobody else. All of them were singer-songwriters. I wasn't. I was a singer. Right. So I could take the song and place it in a way with with the recording that would suddenly... Let people know. Oh, it's Eric Anderson. You know. Oh, it, it's, it's a Dylan. crazy thing. Even yeah. now, I can't think of anyone who's in your league of having had so much success doing that and doing it just so well, making those songs your own. That are well, songs was, people already know, and it somehow was, it's a whole new thing. Well, they didn't know them. They didn't know well, them. back then. Okay, that's right. that was then. That was because I was in the village, uh-huh. and people would walk down Tom Pax, and I'd meet him on the street, and he'd say, "Oh, listen, I just wrote this song: bottle of wine, fruit on the vine. When you gonna let me get sober? Why don't you try singing it?" He hadn't ever recorded it. Okay, and Dick Farini would come and say, "Listen, Pauline and I, Paulina Baez, I think." Is not too well, but anyway, I just heard that. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, he'd say, he'd say, we wrote this song. Um, if somehow you could pack up your sorrows, and I would record it. And then he'd come and say, well, I wrote this song about, uh, he's the kind of guy that's on a motorcycle jacket and he weighs about 105, and how about you sing it? <laughs> and that's how it happened. Wow. Dylan had just written the songs that oh, I sang. Wow. When and I, how did, I mean, did you have to approach them each individually and sort of, I mean, was it, if they was it ever recorded, a problem? Yes, mm-hmm. of course. And it was all easy because they knew what would happen is I'd record it and then everybody would get to know them. <laughs> right. And that's why Leonard came to see me. So he sat down, he sang the songs, and I recorded lots of them in 66. In 67, he called me and said, why aren't you writing songs? So I started writing songs. And I took, speaking of dark 
darkness, Mm -hmm. I took my little dark notebook in which I was always writing dark thoughts, Mm -hmm. and I took it to my friend Bruce Langhorn, and I said, who's a wonderful guitarist and friend of mine, and I said, I want you to look at this book and see what you think. And he said, "Um," I went out on the porch, and I I couldn't bear to see what he was going to scream when he wrote these read these things and he came back and he said well it's all very interesting he said why don't you try writing five songs about a relationship the beginning through the end so I went home and wrote since you've asked which has become Mm -hmm. you know kind of a my own kind of hit (laughs) and then one night that same spring I was sound asleep or passed out as the case was and the phone rang at three in the morning and it was Al Cooper and he said are you awake? And I said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and he said, well, I have this wonderful surprise. I followed this girl home. She's good looking and she's in love with the drummer and bread, uh, blood, sweat and tears. And she said that she wrote songs. So I followed her home and guess what? She does write songs. And then he put Joni Mitchell on the phone and she sang me Hello. both sides now. Whoa. And I said, she I'll hadn't be recorded right. it yet. Oh, okay. And I said, Wow, I'll be right over. And the next day, and she day, didn't feel a, a sort of like proprietary this, yeah, thing. Yeah, like this is my song. I'm going to record it. Look, everybody wanted to be successful, just like they yeah. do now. They know Judy right. Collins is going to make it a hit. And right. I already had a reputation. I mean, why wouldn't she sing it to me on the phone? Wow. She was desperate. Yeah, nobody in the world knew who jo- Joni Mitchell was. Tom Paxton had recorded. She'd never recorded. Tom had recorded uh, Circle Game. That was it. Wow. So yours came out before hers. Oh, yes. Okay. What about both sides now? Or not both sides now. Um, who knows where the time goes? I, I'm not sure. Well, I'll tell you about it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so of course I called Jack Holzman the next day and I said, guess what? I've got the song for this album. I had written my own song, Since You've Asked, Albatross, and another kind of loser song. And, <laughs> and I had... Um, I was working, I decided, because of my songs, because of the way I compose, that I would have Josh Rifkin orchestrate everything. Also, I wanted it all orchestrated. I had just broken the rules with the previous album, with In My Life, so I recorded a Dylan song. I mean, I don't know if Dylan was on. Yeah, Dylan was there. Uh, When you're lost in the rain in Juarez and it's Easter Mm, time too. Love that song. Tom Thumbs Blues. Yeah. So that was on that album. All of the, both of the Leonard Cohen songs were on In My Life. The Beatles song, um, Pirate Jenny from Three Penny Opera was on that album. They were all orchestrated. And so that was the breakaway album, the one that had the things that that Leonard Cohen had written. It was breakaway because not only of the material, Hello, Hooray was on that album. Um, Hard Loving Loser was on that album. But everything was orchestrated, basically, by Josh Rifkin. And I was doing German theater music and the songs from the Marat Saad, which were in the theater piece in 1966 of Peter Brook. I mean, this was like... It's like your father's radio show. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's like the best of everything. Exactly, the best of everything. All kinds of music, every genre. And I got, of course, I got blown out of the water by a review, which I have did not see until about two weeks ago, by by uh, Richard Goldstein in the in the Village Voice. He just trashed the album. Of course, really, it did, it did <laughs> great. It was fantastic. Of course, yeah. The the, the uh, Leonard Cohen broke out. And he got a record label and all that. <clears throat> so when I started to record Wildflowers. With Joni's with Joni's song on it, with both sides now on, uh-huh. everything was kind of prepared because I'd been with Electra all those years, and Jack Holzman is a genius, and he stuck with me all the way, and he was building his own knowledge about how to market and what to do, and the radio stations were playing, and the and the magazines were writing, and and the clubs were open to all of us, and all of the Carnegie Hall, everything was it was like a perfect storm. Okay, and of course. Both sides now was a huge hit immediately. Mm-hmm. It took, and I would say immediately, not immediately, not about took about nine months for it to really crack. Okay, but they had to. On well, the grand very scheme hard. of your career, now right. I can say yeah, it was pretty sure. immediate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was your first Grammy, correct? And yes, and um, I was nominated before, and a number of times I've been nominated. So, 
Then, next came going back out to California and working with um, another producer, with David Anderley, who had this bright brainstorm. He wanted to bring in a new band for me and do something. It kind of reversed what we'd done on both sides, on uh, Wildflowers. Mm -hmm. So he brought in Buddy Emmons and James Burton from Nashville. And they'd never been out. They'd never played on anything but country. And they came out and sort of joined the, you know, the West Coast sound with, with my album, with Who Knows Where the Time Goes, and Stephen Stills came on board. Uh-huh. And, of course, we had that affair, and he wrote uh, Sweet Judy Blue Eyes about me. <laughs> so it was a very kind of a hot time, and we were almost done with that, with that album. Had Fairport Convention already released well, that they, song? No. Okay. Nobody so again, had, you got it first. So again, she had just written it. Yeah, Sandy Denny. And Sandy Denny had just written it, and literally, we were really on the verge of mastering. And we were out in California at Electra at the beautiful studios on La Cienega, which are gone now. It's like this Spanish, gorgeous, with a, pool, with a fountain in the front and this fantastic studio about this size, but all wood paneled with rugs hanging on the wall. Very what, 60s. What year was this? 1968. Okay. My father had just died. I was a wreck. Mm. We were in Los Angeles, and, and RFK was shot maybe a week before Man. we recorded, and we were all kind of des- desperate to do something to get out of this mood. Mm-hmm. And we were almost finished, and this, this uh, motorcyclist drove up to Electra Records with his helmet and everything, popped out, came in the, and put this tape on the desk and said, you must hear this. So we all went into David's office, and he played it, and I said, oh, that's it. What was it? Who knows where the time goes? Oh, that was it. That's cool. <laughs> this, who was this man? Who was he? He was a messenger from somebody who was take, bringing this brand new oh, song of, yeah. of, of Sandy's. Wow. wow. And of course, she recorded it later. Right. And it could have been recorded before and then put out. Put out later. Or it could have been released in England. I don't know. Yeah. But it was hot. Yeah. It's a gorgeous song. It's a gorgeous song. Yeah. So what do you attribute your ability to... To be able to stay so consistent over the decades. You know, you weren't like greatly affected by the winds of change, fads, what's in, what's out. Because some artists really fall victim to that. And you go hear an album of theirs from the 80s and it sounds nothing like what came before. Nothing like what's, which can be inventive and fun. But it seems like you've always known who you are and what you want to do. And you can't ever hear you really grasping for things, you know. Well, I attribute it to two things. First, it's the DNA. It's the inherited genes. Mm-hmm. And secondly, all the training. Yeah. Interesting. Because I learned. I was four or five years old when I started playing the piano and performing in public. Uh-huh. And so today, there this constant, you know, it's also the passion. I'm always, I have to do something. I wouldn't touch a song that I'm not passionate about. Mm. And I know immediately, the minute I hear it, that's it. Mm-hmm. If I don't like it, I never want to hear it again. Right. So when you, it's like that. When you hear something you love, do you tend to say, oh gosh, I have to you know, really make sure that I work with this composer or this lyricist again and again? I mean, Well, that's interesting because that brings up Ari Hest and my new CD, uh, uh, Silver Skies Blue. I met Ari, Ari a few years ago. Now, you know, I've had this, as you say, this very long career it's about passion. It's about consistency. It's about people who have, uh, who get on my team and stay. It's about never having anybody tell me what I had to do. I wouldn't ever listen to anybody tell me what to do. That's a big part of it, right? And that's yeah. part of it because yeah, yeah. It, if you're determined and you say, "I'm not. This is not for me. I'm not. That's not what I am." Mm-hmm. Uh, but even to come to that point where you have to say that is ridiculous because yeah. you <laughs> must know in your inner solar plexus what works for you but coming up a young woman in the 60s who's getting her break for the first time there must have been a lot of people men in particular telling you what they thought you should do well I had a great producer from the beginning and Jack was a great record man for and I was with them for my first contract lasted for 25 years wow how did that even happen because because Electra was the company that it was, and even after David Geffen took over, he was just fabulous, and he helped me create Judith, on which was sending the clowns, etc. Mm-hmm. I 
So you just I, had the right team from the beginning. I had right. the right team. They were faithful. Mark and I were very close, and he left the business in '73 before I made um, before I made Judas. But that great consistent help, you know, and good taste. People who weren't crazy, you know, there were a lot of crazy people around. Yeah, but I didn't didn't listen to. Them. I was also a prude in some way. Yeah, and I sort of kept a straight line. It didn't matter that I was drunk a lot. Also, <laughs> That's not, was, yeah. What do you mean by prude? I have certain lines that I don't cross, and I won't cross. Okay. And that means okay. socially, personally. Okay. I get the vibe of this is not the right place to be, and I'm out of there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And or I don't ever go there. So so something about it. So I've had that kind of blessing. I've been working on this Sondheim project for a number of years. And Sunday night, last week, uh, two days ago, in Colorado, we recorded it with a symphony orchestra at the Betcher Hall. And it's going to be a PBS special. It was all the Sondheim songs that I hadn't yet gotten oh, to. Wow. It's it, it, oh. it just was a dream come true. Songs and, you've never performed of his before? Is that what that means? They're Sondheim songs that you haven't performed? No, I've not performed any of them. Wow. Have you had a relationship with him? He's a friend, and I admire him, and I adore him, and I send him flowers, and he sends me notes and comes to my shows. And I mean, he's I mean, just... <laughs> I mean, he must. He sent me a note after "Sending the Clowns" was a big hit, saying, uh, "Thanks for my first top ten, yeah, top ten hit." I mean, and and what an unlikely song. I mean, it's so hard. It's so. (laughs) It's like what? It's a very intense song. It's a very very emotional song, song. and And people do go nuts so big. Yeah, I mean, they go nuts over it. Mm -hmm. But for it to be a national in the national consciousness, it's so unusual. Yes, it's very true, and it's international too. Everybody, yeah, it's like, and it's broken through for him a lot of doors. And what I want to do with this Sondheim, because I'm going to also record them just with piano and uh, string quartet. Nice is to find a way to make those songs understood in a way that sending the clowns. Right. I mean, and I think I can make it. Radio's different, music business is different, everything's different. But I think there's some hope that people will say, oh, yes, oh, yes, no one is alone, oh, yes, Ooh. anyone can whistle, oh, yes, oh, oh, yes. Do you pull from all of his I shows? Yes. Including Assassins. Oh, really? I oh, even okay. sing a gun song. <laughs> it takes a lot of men to make a gun, hundreds Oh, it's a great song. Anyway, so there's a combination of that, and now with my pat, my most recent album, Strangers Again, and Strangers Again brings me to Ari, Ari Hess because I've worked with Ari for a few years. I think he's brilliant. I think he is extremely uh, smart and amazing writer. And I dug around in his. Um, discography. He was on my Irish PBS show, and he sometimes opens for me. And I dug around and I found this song called Strangers Again. And I said to him, you know, I've got to get to this before Taylor Swift does. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, do you, you, when you hear Before Beyonce hears it. (laughs) And so we recorded that. And then I put all these guys on the album, you know, Jeff Bridges and Jackson Brown and Michael McDonald. Did you already know those guys and you just called them up? Some of them I knew very well. I called Bridges right away because I know him a long time. Uh And Jimmy Buffett and I met up and he said, well, I know what I want to sing. I want to sing both sides now. (laughs) I mean, someday someday soon. (coughs) So now on June 3rd, Ari and I release our new CD called Silver Skies Blue, which you can pre-order, by the way. I just got the little note about it. I've already pre-ordered it four times. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all oh, songs wow. that we've written together, and we're singing together. Nice. Wow. So it's been a real kind of watershed moment. It's sort of like, I never did anything like that before. What, co-writing? or I've co-written a few songs, but not much, and... Really, the whole idea of pairing with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoever, yeah. But he's so good. And our voices, I have never met anybody with whom my voice matched that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it's very interesting because a lot of our experience with writing and performing has been, has some similar overlays. And when we sing together, it's just magic. Mm-hmm. So... That's what we're doing on the 3rd of June is releasing a wow. brand new album. Will he be on tour with you at all? Oh, yes. He's oh. on tour with me already. He is right now. Yeah. Okay. We do a number of shows so far, and we're going to go forward. You're at quite a pace. 
Yeah. 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 Don't stop. <laughs> I guess you like being busy. I do a hundred last year was 129 shows. Ooh, oh, man. And I looked at the schedule today, this morning when I couldn't go to sleep at three in the morning, I looked it over and I said, I already count 116 shows Ooh. for this com- including You're on tour through January. I saw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes, yes, yes. Back and and there are other things coming up that'll. And, well, I won't say the next thing, but there are lots of hot <laughs> spots coming along. Okay. Very exciting. And your voice sounds better than ever, which I don't understand. No. Just, yeah. Especially well, with how much you work. I don't know how you keep it that way. Well, I do have an advantage. First of all, all the studying that I've done. Uh huh. No, not, not only before. Um, before I had really learned how to sing, well, when I started losing my voice, it was 1965. And in 1965, I found a great teacher. And I stayed with him until he died 30, 32, 32 years later. And so that's the wow. reason. What does that I mean? You, you, do your it. voice just started to go? What do you, what, that must have been so scary. Well, it was, it was terrifying. It's oh. always terrifying. The voice, don't be a singer because it's, <laughs> the whole thing is just too hard to imagine. <laughs> right. It's very... Someone should make a movie about vocal teachers because yeah. a lot of the people on the show talk about them and how instrumental that's been. And they're the unsung heroes as they far as the I can tell. They are the unsung heroes. I mean, I thank God for Max every day of my life. Yeah. What was I the key not... to his... Teaching. It's something called bel canto. That's mm-hmm. what the actual practice, the discipline is called. But what it really has to do is with is clarity and phrasing. It's what Pavarotti studied. It's what all the great Italians, uh, tenors studied. It's how it's what all the great singers studied before the advent of amplification. Mm-hmm. So throughout your career, you were doing opera, vocal no, technique, no. operatic. No, I was singing, oh. but I but was the- singing all kinds of things. But his, I mean, he would tra- he would train opera singers from Europe and from here. In fact, he taught Laurence Olivier how to sing for a movie called The Entertainer. One of the things that he did. But he knew he knows he knew exactly what that technique would do for mm-hmm. anybody, right. for mm-hmm. speakers. Right. For singers, for whoever, yeah, he knew. Wow. Uh, Stacy studied with him. Stacy Keach studied with him. Okay. Um, what's her name? Uh, starts with an S. Uh. She was in the Aliens. You know who I'm talking. Sigourney about. Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney studied with Max. She a singer. And Ma- she would say to people, "I studied with Max," and they would laugh. <laughs> I didn't know I she studied- sang. She yeah. say, I, "I studied with Judy." It's about speaking. Oh, it's about the voice. Period. It's okay. all yeah. the yeah. same thing. Oh, the singing, study the for this speaking, <laughs> the talking, yeah. the arias, right? Mm. The country song. It's all the same voice. Yeah, mm. interesting. And what about acting? I, I want to acknowledge that just to prove you're as cool as ever. You are on the show, girls. <laughs> <laughs> it was an amazing cameo. <laughs> So you're like the hippest guest that we've had on this show so Carlisle. far. <laughs> yes. Performing at the Carlisle, which we've been attending a lot lately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Are you acting? Is that something that you look for? I have done a few things yeah. over the course of time. I did a lot of, well, a number of us have done things with, with the Muppets <laughs> and the Sesame oh, Street. <laughs> did Lena reach out to you for girls? She must yeah. have just been a big yeah. fan. Yeah. And it was, it's, she's wonderful. She's just divine i'm uh-huh. crazy about her and i was in i think the first thing i've done a few movies over the years i was in a short singer movie called uh junior you were oh. in junior <laughs> oh i need I to rewatch play, junior i play the sex guy the, I, I play the pregnancy counselor <clears throat> in <laughs> I junior i remember that that's awesome <laughs> and i'm talking you know devito was in that movie and uh, and of course Danny Danny had his family there, and we were out in California at this beautiful place in Carmel. It was an old wine winery, I think. And uh, uh, a lot of people were on the movie, and it was just a ball. And I was terrified. Of acting? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> terrified.
terrified. With those two guys in the scenes that we did? Yeah. Heavy scene partners. I was partners. like, oh my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> I got it. Because At least it was Ivan, in Shakespeare. <laughs> Ivan Reitman, uh, he read me uh, okay. for the card, and, uh-huh. I, and I said, oh, I'll go and do it. This is nothing. Uh, and I had a lot of fun reading. And then they called me back. And that's when I got terrified. <laughs> and how do you feel part. about your performance in junior? Oh, it was fine. Okay. It was fine. <laughs> but it's not, you know, I thought, oh, how do they do this? How did Stacy do this? I lived with Stacy Keach for four years, so or not always living with him, but always on and off. And I, I was part of a lot of, let's say, uh, backstage viewing what he was doing on the stage and uh-huh. in movies, a lot of films, a lot of things. How do they do it? You know, first of all, it's a disruption of your concentration because you're always getting ready and then waiting four hours, <clears throat> doing a scene. <clears throat> oh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. On a set, it's crazy. I just don't know how people do it. Well, yeah. people look at you and say the same thing, so I guess <laughs> that's why you, you do what you do and they do <laughs> Yeah. I'm curious, how do you see... <clears throat> How do you sort of, like, look at time of over over your career? And do you look at today's... Do you do you feel like you're part of a music industry that has sort of evolved over these years, or do you feel sort of you're watching it from the outside? Like, how do you perceive what the music industry is today with its sort of very new I don't fangled perceive things? it at all. You don't think about <laughs> it's that? It's not part of my life. Right. I very much am engaged in what I do. I listen, and I look, and I'm entertained, just like everybody is. You know, I have my opinions <laughs> right, about this performer or that performer. But I have my favorites, too. And I, I love to see what's going on. And I know, that, I know that it's an interesting time. It's always been hard to be a performer. That, that hasn't ever changed. And I think that the one thing that's really consistent is the demon that the artist has that gets that great song out of them. It's always finally down to the song. And it always has been. That's historic. When you look at Sending the Clowns and Both Sides Now, maybe two of the biggest, um, do you say to yourself, wow, those are really emblematic in a nice way of sort of a journey that you've taken subsequently to even choosing them? Well, they're part of my DNA because I took them and made them Judy Collins songs because I learned how to do that when I was 12. You know, I learned how to, and I. But bought, even thematically, I mean, they they speak so much to sort of, you know, what's happening. Yeah, they're very, right. They're complicated. I mean, you knew then you you yeah. know it was in your DNA to choose those songs. Well, exactly. And, they have something to say, and that's lucky because I do sing them since I do all these. Of course, I have so much material. <laughs> I have fifty. I don't. I've never stopped touring. I've never stopped recording. I've never stopped looking for songs. I've never stopped writing songs. I sang in the in the show, in the Sondheim show, I wanted to create a dialogue of where I was when he was doing this and what I was writing when he was writing that. Oh, cool. So I added a couple things, and I added a song I wrote called Beyond the Sky, which I was commissioned by um, NASA to write it for Eileen Collins, who was the first female woman uh, commander of a space shuttle Whoa. and we went down to the launch and I sang the song so I sang Beyond the Sky cool. for her so so it's a I see it for myself as a continuum everything is interconnected the whole package you know from from appearing in Butte Montana when I was four years old singing I'll Be Home for Christmas on my dad's show and it was a big hit you know it was also April <laughs> Awesome. So right. it's it's like it's one of a piece, really. Yeah. Awesome. What song are you playing for us today? I'm going to sing the song I wrote about my dad. Wonderful. What's it called? My father. Great. Thank, right, thank you, you Judy. Judy. Thank you. My father always promised us. We would live in France We'd go boating on the sand And I would learn to dance We lived in Ohio then He worked in the mines On his dreams 
soon were gone to Denver and Cheyenne, marrying their grown-up dreams, the lilacs and the man. I stayed behind the youngest still, only danced alone. The colors of my father's dreams. in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.